0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter. Psalm 142. Uh, You look at this psalm here, and uh, it's it's pretty interesting how it ties into the story we've been looking at. We just looked at uh, David and really, as we were saying, the way he really sins against uh, Bathsheba's husband. And we saw just kind of how this is going to get started here. Out. This isn't really just be this chapter that just has all these things coming on after it. It's really kind of this central turning point. Uh, so, this is kind of skipping ahead a little bit, um, but it's good because it'll kind of help fill in some blanks. This is part of the curse, really, that David merits for himself with those, uh, as we're seeing, a uh, series, really, uh, of uh, terrible actions. Psalm one forty two. Joining us today as our guest, we've got Pastor Kevin Parviz, pastor at Congregation Chai of Shalom in Saint Louis, Missouri. There in Dogtown. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? We're doing all right. Yeah, it's uh, it, we're you know kind of waiting for the uh the smoke to clear still. I mean, uh, it, it wasn't uh really ever. I think at any point really threatening our own house per se, but. Uh, there's still just kind of like a lot of like dust and smoke in the air from all these uh, brush fires out here. But uh, how's, yeah, how's
1: last, it going out there? The last time I was at in California was last November. was the last place I preached before COVID. And I was stunned at all this still burned ground in. And it just, I can't imagine you going through that looking out your windows and seeing the hills around you burning. It's just kind of a challenge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I, I think. I think it's one of the weird double whammies, right? Where you're like, okay, well, you know, you're all getting like kind of stir crazy, so you're like, okay, let's let's go outside, you know? We're like all working from home, you know, like just okay, we gotta get outside of these four walls, cause it's COVID. And it's like, oh no, wait, everyone, go back inside those four walls because of the because <laughs> of the smoke Breathe out
1: there. Yeah, the uh, only thing we get is, is enjoying the sun sunsets that come from your
0: smoke. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right well no that's true It's it's been it's been very interesting and uh that, that's been interesting just in general for the for the kiddos they really enjoyed having that big full moon on halloween yeah
1: oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, was, was, uh, was,
0: yeah no, that was uh yeah i know that was that's fantastic um yeah. but so you know so this this is a this is a chapter here i, I like these psalms that have this story background here and um such vivid language, um, very very emotional language here, and uh, I mean, there's a few of these psalms here at the end that link back up to these really key moments in the David story.
1: Yeah, and of course this is a psalm that is generally uh, read in the church during the season of Lent, and it's a very it's the last of the seven penitential psalms in the the Psalter, and uh, this one is at least, uh, as much as we can tell, and it relates back to David being ousted from his throne by his own son Absalom. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and his, you know, it's funny because we just in our in our we have a small group of Bible study in our ministry that gets together to sort of do casuistry as well and uh, share the scriptures, and you know we realize that this whole business with David and Absalom really stemmed from his inability as a father to manage his household. And of course, if, when we look at, um, you know, at Paul's um, counsel to Timothy, uh, being a man of one husband and able to, and to manage your household is an important thing for a pastor. And so David realizes just how how much of a failure he is, as we all do at some times. And... Uh, and then you know we turn in our in our in our struggle to to the Lord and uh, and the Lord you know in David's life he made it better um, and of course David is the promise of the kingship that is coming in Messiah Yeshua that we enjoy today um, and so you know it is it is this it's a left and right hand kingdom kind of song.
0: That's interesting perspective. Um, I think it links to a few things that we've seen in First and Second Samuel. That idea of fathers not being able to uh, rein in their children, right? I mean, we we saw you know, that was the ac- that was the accusation with Eli, right? That that his own sons were were uh, falling a bit far from a tree, right? And that that seems to be a recurring pattern.
1: Yeah, it, uh, I mean the the whole business. God gives us of male headship, and it's important in the family. It's important in the family, and how so very often men abrogate or fail in that duty, uh, and then God still makes it right. I mean I mean, if we if we if we trust the Lord, we're just going to wrestle all our lives with this, with the responsibility, the authority, and also our failure to exercise well. And And unfortunately. Well. In the the prophets, you know, constantly they're saying, because I'm sure in Israel that they all, just like we do today, we blame everything on our parents and on our upbringing. And, you know, the the whole uh, proverb, the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. That's very true. God doesn't give it to us as an excuse. But the reality is that our our actions as, as fathers, Uh, affect our children and sometimes very negatively.
0: Well, and that's pretty interesting, I think, to consider then um, kind of like the flip side of this too, how once David's in this situation, how he responds to it, and I mean, like what what he's actually praying for here as his own son is pursuing him. um, I I think it's it's, it's a fascinating psalm. We should just go ahead and turn to the text as we do so. Would you start us out with a prayer?
1: You bet. Father, we thank and praise you for your example of fatherhood to us that never fails, and yet, Father, we also thank you for that uh, the blessing of forgiveness that is constantly outpoured upon us as we come to you with penitent hearts. We pray your blessing upon this land and especially upon this election that it be uh, peaceful and orderly. And Lord, we thank that you we thank you that you have given us this psalm Reflect on the sin that not only we experience but we live amidst. And Father, we cry out to you with a penitent heart, praying and confident in your forgiveness. The name Yeshua, HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus. And Messiah, name. Amen. Amen.
0: Um, I, I appreciate the connection there to the elections. I mean, I think that a lot of what we're seeing in First uh, and Second Samuel is how difficult a transition of power it really is, and how in the ancient world a transition of power usually meant capturing your opponent's wives, uh, eliminating all of their family. Right? Like these are the sorts of things that we had going on in the background with the House of Saul and the House of David, just over and over again. And then when you have this even within David's own house happening, right? What what all that entails, and uh, th- there's there's been a number of uh, things. Uh, that we, we've kind of uh, skipped over to, to get to this psalm. We'll be going back into 2 Samuel uh, tomorrow, but to kind of help bridge that gap. So, you know, you have this this really, this key feeling. Saul, you know, but he he, does, he disobeys the, the command of the prophet through, uh, I mean, really the command of God that's given through the prophet uh, to wipe out the Amalekites. David, similarly, he disobeys God in a big way. When it comes to coveting his neighbor's wife, and uh, I mean having the man killed, despite him being just nothing but honorable above board, and uh, it, then what we're going to see tomorrow is that there's there's a curse placed on the house of David because of this, right? And that's I mean, isn't that how really the ball gets rolling and leads us to this moment where he's actually persecuted and uh, has his life sought after by his own son?
1: Yeah, All right. And so, it is. It is tragic but it is also common and that's, that's a challenge that uh, we always have to look with.
0: Yeah. I think, I think so that, you know, part of the reason why, um, I mean, the, the whole notion of a, a transition of power is, is hard, right? Is like you, you got I mean, just kind of inherently, it's always like this, right? There's going to be an older generation that, um, you know, looks at the younger generation and says, you know, they're they're not ready. Uh, the, where were we? Where have we gone wrong? Right? <laughs> there, they're, This is yeah. this isn't going to be good for for the country. The younger generation that says, you know, okay, boomer, right? <laughs> I mean, like the, the, yeah. the same sorts of things we have going on today. I mean, this this is not a new problem at all.
1: Yeah, but, and you know, it's really funny that you should think about that because I've I've seen it on several social media sites, even in the church. You know, you have the you know, you got me, you know me. I'm kind of long in the tooth. I'm the old, the old guard pastors who are who the young upstarts are really anxious to get rid of so that they can actually do something for. And you see all of these all of these posts on the social media sites with uh, churchmen, and it's mm-hmm. just, it just kind of bores me how we still fall into
0: all even in the church. Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, are, we are about humans. Yeah. Um. Well, let, let's go ahead. I think, I think that will, will relate a lot, um, as we've been discussing to this psalm here. Let's go ahead and, and read it through. This is Psalm 142 in the English Standard Version. Uh, we're going to start with the, the superscription here. A maskil of David when he was in the cave. Prayer. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name righteous will surround me, for you deal bountifully with me.
1: So, you and I are on different pages here, but it's okay. Yeah, my remarks were on 143, so I apologize for that.
0: You know, no, I think actually, I'm just looking at here, like my note here says 142. I was also thinking 143 before we started. I'm, I'm guessing, you know what I'm guessing, this I don't know if this is actually where it comes, but this is actually just going to be uh, a little helpful moment then, actually. 143 is numbered 142 um, in the Greek, yeah. right? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and it's actually kind of important that you look at the Greek uh, when you're looking at 143, and we're going to see actually how these two Psalms uh, just tie together. Cause, uh, not, let, let's stick with 143. Um, the, the two Psalms, I think, they, they really tie together very nicely. I don't, I don't think that you really need to see him um, as, as really kind of whole different episodes. I'm, I'm kind of guessing that he was kind of in the cave a few times. <laughs> but exactly. when you look here at Psalm 143, it says, A Psalm of David, nothing else, right? Um, right? But when you look at the Greek, it says, A Psalm of David, when he, his son, pursued Right, so we're actually flipping it around because it's a you know Greek word order. So it's like when his son pursued him. So right. I, I think then that kind of with that Psalm one forty two is kind of the, the backdrop. I, I think I think yeah. will, it'll help us here one forty three. So let's go ahead and uh, we'll do one forty three then, starting with the, the short superscription, a Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me, in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He's crushed my life to the ground. He's made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you've done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, Bring my soul out of trouble, and in your steadfast love you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. All right, there, there we go. See, that's like actually that's actually the song that I was uh, <laughs> that, that I had been looking at, uh, but but it's uh, it's neat to see the connections actually between the two. So that's just kind of a happy happy accident there. Um,
1: yeah, I, I think that I, I think I actually, I actually did.
0: 142 with you the last time we were on the air together. Uh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it seems it's that was the thing that was kind of messing with me. It's kind of seemed a little bit familiar too. But like you see these connections, right? Like in Psalm one forty-two, you have my portion in the land of the living, and then in one forty-three, by contrast, he has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Um right. In one in one forty-two, you you've got lots of this. You know, I um, I cry out to the Lord, plead for mercy. Um, the, the same kind of like supplication language there um, which, which goes right. into the in the path where I walk they've hidden a trap for me well in 143 you've got the supplication language and now um, he doesn't have a path at all right like he's asking for God right. to give him the path where, where he says there let uh, or is it verse 10 um, let your good spirit lead me on level ground right so yeah. it's uh, it is interesting actually reading him back-to-back uh,
1: back like that. Yeah, I think last last month I mentioned uh, at the bottom of your soul looking up, sort of being in a well. That yeah, was David, yeah, yeah. And then David in the cave, and now he's just, I mean, the sun is gone now, so the cave is, the well is totally dark. He has no place to even think about except to go to God.
0: Well, and, and I think it's... um it's really interesting to, to connect these two because, um, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 No, we did. (laughs) This is actually kind of nice that like, uh, that it was, it was uh, with you that we looked at Psalm 142, uh, because I think it it helps you to see how, you know, when this happens to David, right. There's this really weird comparison because the first time he was out, you know, wandering around in, in the wilderness, right. And hiding in caves, um, you, you could kind of look at David as sort of like the innocent victim, right? You know, it's like what did he do? He didn't, you know, rise up in rebellion against Saul. Um he's just, you know, following the will of God. But but this time it's it's not the innocent he can't play the innocent victim card, right? I mean, like he like you were saying, I mean like all the failings of his children, including Absalom, are reflections of his own failures.
1: Yeah, he was very aware of
0: And, um, so I think then, uh, interesting thing then, like, let's maybe, maybe, uh, well, actually before we get to this, it kind of helped if you could connect the dots. Cause we didn't, uh, like I said, we actually haven't read this far in first and second Samuel. So, okay. How, how do you get from David messes up? Um, he, he has Uriah killed, um, by, by his general Joab, basically, um, takes Uriah's wife as his own, um. She bears him Solomon, right? Like, how do we get from that to um, this other son of David's, Absalom, is going after his life?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think the challenge, of course, is that Absalom is, is doing everything out of revenge. His sister was raped. And uh, David, did, as father, did nothing really, seems anyway, from the text, did nothing really to... Deal with that issue with his family and with the one who had him, his sister, his daughter, and so uh, Absalom is really just avenging his family. And I think David, David seems in all of those in, in that entire vignette, he seems entirely passive uh, mm-hmm. and just you know kind of sitting back and letting letting events just happen and not not doing what God has called him to do as the authority in the family and.
0: I think comparison then to, to Psalm 142, right? Because, I mean, we, we saw how in many ways the story of 1 Samuel is that of a king who has overstayed his welcome, right? Like, I mean, his time has passed. God God wanted him to be king for a certain season, and while he was um, king during that season, he did lots of good things, right? God God blessed Israel for it. Um, but then and he David, went to David.
1: But David always That's as the anointed one, and and worked very hard not to, I mean, not to be the guy that was going, and you know, his faithfulness to Saul is unfortunately lacking when it comes to his faithfulness to his family.
0: Well, yeah, no, and that's another really interesting um, asymmetry, right? So, I mean... You, you have kind of in both cases then, you know, kind of looking at it that way, you know, because uh, that's a really interesting take that like Absalom in some ways is sort of doing what David was supposed to do, um, but, but but David's being too passive, like right? Well, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right, from his perspective anyway. So, I mean, like, so Absalom, right, I mean, he's he might, you know, he might see himself as like his father's true heir, right? Like in the sense of, hey, look, you know, you know, my father, David, you know, he, he was, God wanted him to be king because, you know, Saul, he, he had, he was out of, he was out of touch. He had this, you know, uh, this spirit of, uh, you know, this, uh, this unpleasant spirit, this vexing spirit, the spirit that had taken over his thoughts. Right. He wasn't serving God anymore. And so Absalom, he looks at his father and he's like, you know what? Same things happened to the old man. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, God, right. God has anointed me now to take over him. Yeah, because Absalom, he has his own little anointment ceremony, right? And so that must be yeah. really interesting, then, to think that maybe Absalom really sees himself as David 2.0 here, um, and that he has a justified cause. But, I mean, that is the striking difference, that, that David, regardless of how worthy he thought his cause was, wouldn't raise a sword against Saul, whereas Absalom says, forget that, I'm, I'm going after him.
1: Well, David didn't want Absalom killed, either, so that was the tragic nature of Story. And David didn't want his son killed, uh, but ultimately that that would happen. David would be very grievous over that.
0: Okay, so that that's actually because that was the thing I was hoping that we could um, take a look at a little bit here. You know, so like what what is he praying for here, right? Because this is this is a real challenge. He's um, when he, when he's praying in the context of Psalm One Forty Two, right? When he's you know, he'll help me get out of this trap, right? Um, no one is for me, right? You know, he's he's really kind of just trying to, it, it seems like he's just praying to like survive and that God would just get him out of of this really bad spot. But, you know, it seems like David's praying from a position of confidence that, you know what? God's anointed me. David, uh, Saul's not going to live forever. Like my time will come. Um, but here in Psalm 143, I mean, doesn't it seem like he's not just saying, may I survive Absalom, but he's actually saying, like, Absalom hey, can't, no. he can't, he can't yeah, go no. on like this. Like, like Absalom has to be stopped.
1: I mean, I think, honestly, David, now this is my own interpretation to take yeah. it for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think David is, when I read verse three, for the enemy has pursued my soul, I don't read that as Absalom. I think David is really seeing his own failure and the enemy is enemy from within. Uh, you know, it's the flesh of the devil. Uh, and uh, and so, in a sense, he, he is talking about outside enemies. Obviously, Absalom's army is seeking him, but he also has, he has resources at his own hand as well, which we will see as the story continues. But he's just, I think, reflecting on his on the enemy that is within him, which has failed, uh, which has caused him to fail. So he's he's just empty and corrupt. And, you know, at this point, I'm the only one who can drink with me is God.
0: Yeah. Well, that's I mean, I think that to a certain extent, you, you have to acknowledge that because I, I, think, I think of a father, right, is looking at his son's failures. I mean, that's that's, you can't help but, like, have a mirror... Be held up to, yeah. right? I, I mean, and no matter if, how if, yeah. you still, So, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. So I mean, that that's got to, I mean, so so, yeah. I, I know you're saying that you know it's like it doesn't really explicitly get into this, but I mean, him being a, just a human father, it's, you know that on a certain level, it's just inescapable. If he looks at his son's failures, it, it's a mirror being held up, right? And he and he knows that you know my my boy wouldn't have done this, right? If it wasn't in me already, if I hadn't you know shown him really to do these sorts right. of things. I, I mean, like that that's going to be there. Um, man, there's so, so many things in just these first three verses. We've got to take a short break here, but everybody hold on. We're looking at Psalm 143 here on High Strong Word. We'll be right back. of new americans invites you to play virtual trivia november 7th and or 14th your team members can join you on zoom from anywhere there's also a virtual auction november 7th through the 14th auction items include vacations gift baskets certificates golf lessons and more your support is needed for ministry among refugees and immigrants visit cfna-stl.org slash events or call 314-517-8513 that's 314-517-8513 did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directed to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa, joined today by our guest, Pastor Kevin Parviz, pastor at Congregation Hevesh Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. If you've got a question or comment for us, give us a call if you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727, or if you are in St. Louis or Dogtown, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email question, kfuo at kfuo.org. A few of these come in here. I want to take a look at some of these here. Um, you know, so looking at these uh, these chapters here. Oh, okay, okay. Those are getting reset here. Um, oh, okay, okay. So these got reset here. Very good. So yeah, so is he a poor, miserable sinner who who penned this psalm? It is our portion of the land of the living a walk in the throes of despair, trapped in our iniquities? Uh, if we're passive in the face of overt sin, we'll be punished those iniquities yeah so kind of uh, kind of comparing ourselves to david's situation right like did is this is this what david really deserved because of uh how he kind of stood back and let things just play out let his sons take action right um letting things get out of hand some good questions there yeah, you can also send your questions over the live stream on facebook facebook.com slash aj espinosa uh this is just a, a sort of an interesting question here but um let me let me get the right wording here. So it's um who's the best father in First and Second Samuel, uh, Samuel, Jonathan, David. And, you know, what's what's it say um about the failure of these fathers to to pass on the baton, right? Um and and what's it say about our fathers today? That's a that's just a fascinating question. Um I imagine there's probably a couple different answers that'd be worth reflecting on. Um. Before we, before we kind of get into some of those, I want to make sure I don't neglect to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Thank you guys for underwriting thy strong word. So I maybe we should just talk about that one really quick here. This is just fascinating. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you think, brother? I mean, like kind of holding up these different fathers, you know, you've got uh, you got Eli, right, who seems to you know have like sons who strayed, um, you know, Samuel, as, like, a father figure. I, I feel like the way that he's presented, there there is, in some ways, I, I, I don't know, I, you know, to tell me what you think, sometimes I get the vibe that there is, like, something of a father-son relationship between Samuel and Saul, um, which, you know, obviously doesn't, doesn't work out very well. Um, and then you got Jonathan and David in the mix. I don't know, what do you, what do you think? Pretty interesting question.
1: Uh-huh. That was I was surprised you said Saul. I always thought Samuel and David had a father-son kind of thing our mate, 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 mate. Oh, yeah, yeah. David mm-hmm. have that father-son relationship, too. It's like big Nathan coming in after right. the, you talk about it. But, you know, you're the man. You're, you yeah. know, it's a, it's a of, and, and how many of us have had those conflicts with our sons and had to say, you know, that's you. Um, and then we have to look at ourselves in the mirror because I, my son. Both look a lot like me. And it's funny because my one of my granddaughters, when she looks at me, she says Dad, Dad, I said, "No, that, that's like forty
0: years." Old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it, it's no, no. Yeah, I know. It really, it really is a weird feeling, right? Just the other day, I was looking at a picture. It was I was very blessed. My my godmother um, brought me these this old stack of photos, and included one of my father um, when he was maybe about my age, a little bit younger um, with with me when I was just maybe like a year old or so. Um, And it was weird how much it looked just like me and uh, my younger daughter, Natalie. Like, like I just, it was just, it was just really, I mean, just looking at that and you're just like, this is strange. Um, And it it is weird how you just kind of have these resemblances and these repetitions. Um, You know, so, so I mean, can I get you the second part of the question that you want to say about like the, the failure, right? I mean, there, there really is this difficulty, right, of, like, of, of passing the baton. It just, like, it just doesn't happen automatically. You got Samuel, who's, I mean, following God in, in many good ways, but as he anoints Saul, and Saul gets this really good start, right? I mean, it looks like it's a good handoff, like the transition's happening, right? But then,
1: yeah.
0: well, the rest of the story.
1: Saul goes so that I mean, <laughs> that oppressive spirit, Things
0: with Saul did. It's crazy. Well, I, I, the trouble starts before the oppressive spirit, though, right? Because um, it, it, with that, well, I mean, I mean, you can see problems like leading up to it in many ways, right? Like there, there was the time when um, you know Samuel is instructing Saul, "Hey, wait for me," and then we're going to do these sacrifices. Um, and Saul's like, "Okay, okay, but oh well, man, we, we've got to, we've got to get going here. Like, like, look at the enemies, or you know, we got to get into battle here. So I'm just going to do the sacrifices, right?" and I'm going to get I'm gonna get moving, right? You know, it's a, uh, I got responsibilities yeah. here. And, and then, you know, Samuel um, chastises him. So, I mean, it, it seems like there, there's kind of a little bit of an escalation leading up to that where Saul, he starts off, right, like really embracing what Samuel has given him, but then the, the pressures of life, right, just pull him in different directions.
1: Yeah. Well, Saul's issue was that he never could wait. David's problem is he waited maybe too long, I don't know, mm-hmm. but um, you put yourself in Jonathan's shoes, who loves David, and yet you know your dad is big kid, and, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and they've this whole thing, and I think, you know, the, quest, the question from the caller or whoever wrote in that question, is, I mean, Jonathan seems like the most upstanding person
0: Oh, yeah, no, I mean, so, yeah, Jonathan just ends up being completely trapped. Well, I mean, I mean, actually, in some ways, you know, Jonathan is like a father to David in the way that he, you know, says, hey, I'm going to protect you with my life. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, and you got David, you know, coming before him and, you know, getting on the ground and saying, hey, you, you promised, um, you know, be kind to your servant. Remember the oath that you you made me. And And Jonathan, he's like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to honor my oath and I'm going to I mean, like, I mean, you, you see that in Jonathan. I mean, maybe this is part of the, the, the sad answer to the question. Like, I mean, Jonathan shows um, the most filial fidelity towards his own father, Saul, right? I mean, dies on the battlefield with him. And also, like a, like a father to his son, shows that, that loyalty and that kindness, um, that selflessness towards David. And uh, what's it get him? Well, he dies, you know? I, I mean, so I think, unfortunately, part of the... the Sad answer to the question is that uh, I don't know. And somebody's like the best sons and the best fathers. I mean, I mean, they end up sacrificing themselves uh, for.
1: And there is, there is no good. Not one of us is clean.
0: talk about this acknowledgement of moral failure here so in, in 143 um, you know the opening is similar to that of 142 this stuff like um, you know hear, hear my prayer um, the thing that then takes a little bit of an interesting turn is that in 143 then in your faithfulness answer me right so this is this is the word if i recall if i'm looking at the right word here so this is uh is this the chesed word again um, let's see
1: yeah righteousness
0: oh okay, now that's interesting, yeah, no, so a little bit a little bit a little bit of an interesting uh yeah so well so you've got you've got two right so the at the end one in your righteousness, which is something that is worth talking about, we recently observed reformation right, talk about the righteousness of God and uh <laughs> It's a little bit of a different um, take on it. But yeah, but the word here for faithfulness is also different. It's not chesed. It's, uh, sure. it's this word, um, emunah, right? It, it's the word for, you know, trustworthiness, right? Um, so so it's, it's a little bit of a turn, right, where he's he's putting it on God's character and says then enter not into judgment with your servant uh, for no one living is righteous before you. I mean, I, I feel like as Lutherans, we're really inclined to read that and be like, "This is like Romans, right?" But I mean, is, is that where he's going? I mean, if that's where he's where he's going, like, why is he going there? Um, to try to, I mean, you know, like, is is this like Romans three twenty three, where he's saying, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and if he is, then why why is he why is he saying that, or or is he getting that something maybe with a little bit of different nuance?
1: I mean, I, I always, I always and this was the last of the Psalms that are in in Samuel, which I think is Samuel, 2 Samuel 22, uh, David's Song of Deliverance, in there, and it's supposed to be towards the end of his life, and 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 it's very similar to Psalm 118, but David talks in there about how righteous he is, how he has not done anything to please the Lord, even after all the activity of his life. And, you know, so when we're in that situation and we tend to, and, and I've, I've interpreted his feeling of righteousness as being simply that he never lost faith in God. That's the righteousness that he achieved. Uh, not, not literal righteousness, because that doesn't come until, until we're translated home, right? I mean, that's, we, we are only preparing Christ's righteousness right now. We are not righteous. And right. so that's what that line and this psalm is, is, is illuminating for us, is that we have no righteousness of our own. Uh, and then when, you know, at the end of Second uh, Samuel in, in 22, when he talks about his own righteousness, you have to say, this is interpreted by this psalm, because it's not his own righteousness that he's claiming, even though it seems like it is when we read
0: it. Well, well, okay, yeah, yeah. So I think I think this is helpful, right? You got you got to um, look at you know, what, what is he what is he getting at with righteousness, right? Because when he says to God, um, you know, "In your faithfulness, answer me; in your righteousness," and, and like it's interesting too, because I, I mean, uh, you, you could argue that like it, it should be um, in your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, um, and that the yeah, you know, because like uh, the punctuation marks are. <laughs> Yeah, you know, they, they came later. Um, but when right. he's talking about, like, God doing this in his righteousness, right? I mean, we, we've seen this before, how usually in the Old Testament, when you, you talk about God's righteousness, you talk about—it's not about talking about God's upright um, moral character. It's, it's not talking about how, oh, God never messes up or something like this. I mean, when you talk about God's righteousness, you talk about how God is going to look at the situation— um, and in set things aright, right? Like, the God's going to come, he's going to show up, he's going to sort out the mess, right? And he's going to put things back into balance and put things back into place, right? Like, that's that's what it means for him to be a righteous king and a righteous ruler. He's not gonna just going to let things um go, go crazy. Well, he's not, he's not just going to, to your point earlier, he's not going to just stand back, right, and let everything
1: yeah,
0: I, uh, become undone.
1: I, I, I have connected that with his faithful. Yeah. And his right is perfection, and so his faithfulness is a reflection of his righteousness. Yeah. So the fact that he's going to show up and string things out is his faithfulness, and that comes from the fact that he is righteous, he is perfect.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. No, no. That's right. Like the, the two are, you know, of course, in the poetry, right? They're set in parallel, so they're they're meant to. Uh, yeah, be kind of feeding into each other and getting getting at the kind of same overall idea. So so, 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 given then that God's like this, that he's not just going to stand back and just let this all become a mess. You know, he is fundamentally a good ruler who's going to deliver a good verdict. It says, enter not into judgment with your servant. And then what's the rationale? For no one living is righteous before you. And this is fascinating because I spent some time looking at this. It's a, it's a pretty, it's a little bit of a loose translation. Um the translation, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it kind of makes it sound like it's a statement about the, the world or something, like, like, like kind of like Paul, like, you know, um, for all have uh, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God kind of makes it sound like that. But in Hebrew, it's a little bit more dynamic, which is to say, it's like, you know, every, um, like, how, how could you, how could you put this well? It's like something along the lines of like, um... Like, 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 no living creature. That's even. That's not even not right. It's like every living creature, when they come before you, will have no case. Like every living creature, when they come before you, will will have no claim of innocence, right? I mean, which which is go yeah, go
1: ahead. Well, it's all of creation, really.
0: Yeah, uh, no yeah.
1: One includes the plants, the animals, the uh, rocks. Because you know, there is the the feeling of like. Know, there is a life force even in the rocks through creation. Uh, all of creation is broken before you. But the, the fact that God is everyone righteous, that's his character. Faithfulness comes out of righteousness, and the result of righteousness and faithfulness is what he's asking.
0: say like too i I think that like uh to your point with like faithfulness and righteousness getting played off each other uh, and set in parallel on the one hand he's asking for mercy right but on the other hand he's also asking for for judgment um when he says in verse three for my for the enemy has pursued my soul you know which which again um you know well actually here it's a bit of a strong translation it's pursued my life you know the enemy wants to kill me wants to see me dead it's not that the enemy is just trying to you know occasion a transition of power they they're coming after my life which says something about absalom um but like I, I think this is interesting then because it's it's sort of like it reminds me of a situation where i don't know you're like uh, let's just say hypothetically right you're, you're going down the road and you get pulled over uh and and you're thinking to yourself you know and, and the, the, the uh, officer says it's for speeding and you're thinking to yourself right Okay, well, how about the guy in the next lane who is like going like, you know, 20 fa- like, miles per hour faster than me? Like, what are you doing over here? Like, I wonder if kind of part of it too is he's saying, like, hey, look, no one's innocent before you, God. And that includes Absalom. So yeah. Absalom needs, to, needs to, to face the music here too. I mean, I mean, yes, like I've messed up, right? And like I'm going to have to answer to you. I mean, that's what, that's what he's saying. Like, you know, every, every living creature will have to answer to you. Every living creature is gonna to have to answer for their lack of righteousness, right? So yeah, that includes me, but it includes him too. And so I know that you're faithful, I know that you're just. You can't just stand back and let him do this.
1: Yeah, although I don't I don't see I, I don't see in this psalm where David is thinking about anybody but his own failure. I mean, yeah, no one living as righteous before you, but You know, keep in mind, he doesn't want his son killed. And he mourns his son and gives him a memorial. But but this is, I mean, I think that's just an exclamation point on his own righteousness. Don't, don't, you know, give me mercy. Uh, Remember that no one in your creation is righteous. Nothing is righteous in your creation. And and we're, we're constantly in a place, especially in the Hebrew Scriptures, you don't see this much in the New Testament, but, you know, we're always having to remind God of his own character. And, and I think that's, you know, obviously that's for our comfort and counsel, not for God. But God allows us to do that. God allows us to remind him of his promise to us and of his and His character.
0: Well, uh, certainly God's um, character is is the one that's being highlighted, so it's a it's, uh... I mean, so yeah, so certainly this psalm is a reflection. Well, you say it's it's the seventh uh, penitential psalm. Um, There is definitely reflection on his own sin, but not even himself, not even Absalom. The primary focus is on God. Um, It it, it is interesting, though, like the way he he has in verse three. I mean, he really kind of goes after just how bad of a spot he's been put in by this. Well, you know, like what... What, what I mean what the Greek is saying is is Absalom, but you know, like you were saying, on a certain level, you know, even if it is Absalom, it's like you know, it's his own fault in a way. Pursued my soul, crushed my life into the ground, made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about like the prodigal son, right? Who basically goes to his father and says, "I wish you were dead, so I could have the inheritance." Like, I, like I feel like there's some kind of there too. Um, but 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 he goes into the days of old and talks about how he's thirsty like a parched land. I mean, it's, that's that's actually a really interesting turn, I think.
1: And uh, we just came through the, the biblical feast of Sukkot. Yeah. And there is tradition in temple times of pouring out water onto the dry, cracked earth, praying yeah. for the bounty for the next harvest. Yeah. And Jesus used that to say, if you're thirsty, come to me. I will make streams of living water flow from you. Uh, I mean, that thirst is not, it's a, it's a thirst for not just water and not just a bountiful harvest, but to, yeah. to God, if you're thirsty, come to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. I i don't remember if it was with you that we were talking about that back in John way back when, but, but you know, like it, it says, you know, that the Lord was up there in Jerusalem for Forsecoach, and that you know they're pouring out the, the big you know water basins on the last day, and like there's this 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 readily available water image, It's so all the water is like streaming out, and and he's like, you want real water that just flows and flows and flows and never runs out? Well, come come to me. Um, very very fascinating uh, contrast, right, between you know the Lord who's promising springs of water and ever flowing water, um, and then you know his predecessor David who's saying. I'm empty. I'm like I'm like a desert. I mean, it, it's so fascinating because he says, you know, I'm, I'm meditating on your hands because my hands, right in verse six, right, uh, my hands. I think the implication is are just empty. They're dry. They're they're cracked. It's yeah. like a it's like a desert, right? Like I I need you to rain down goodness on me because I'm I am all out. I've got nothing. Yeah,
1: and by in John seven when Jesus uses that sermon illustration, it's there's a note there that says, By this he meant the spirit which had yet to be poured out. And here the, the product of the thirst that David is ex- expressing is that his spirit fails.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Though, going back to the Yeah, that's interesting too, because like the spirit the spirit language kinda of comes up a a couple places there. I mean, in verse in verse seven, yeah, he does say, you know, um, you know, my spirit fails. Um, and that's kind of set in parallel a little bit with, um, where does he mention the heart, right? Uh, in verse four, my heart within me is appalled. But then in contrast, right, in verse 10, you know, teach me for you're my God. There's kind of this intuitiveness right there where it's like, Hey, t- teach me you're, you're my God. That's, that that's the right thing, right? I should be learning from you. And it says, let your good spirit lead me on level ground, right? So there's his spirit, which is appalled, then God's spirit, which is good and leads.
1: Mm-hmm. And I love the way in the ESV they, uh, of course, in the Hebrew, that's the same word. But, of course, in the ESV, we've capitalized it because it's the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, and that's interesting, too, though, right? Because um, it doesn't say Holy Spirit, right? It says, let your, let your good spirit. Right. It's It's kind of an interesting way I don't know actually how often in the in the Hebrew Scriptures God's Spirit gets referred to this way. Um, like, what do you think he's getting at by referring to the Holy Spirit as your good spirit? Because
1: his spirit is so bad. Yeah, that's why I think in verse 3, the enemy is not so much human enemies as sin within him. Satan uh, and his spirit is struggling in that battle. And, there's, and he has felt that his spirit has become bad, and so he points that to, he needs God's spirit, not his own spirit. And that, you know, that spirit he has, of course we use that language in the English, we have a spirit of lethargy, or we have a spirit of whatever, uh, but he's,
0: And I think then, so so one of the things that I think about, kind of with that comparison of of David just kind of having nothing, right? The lethargy. Um, you know, if you look at the language of goodness is the language of creation, right? Like you, you go to the creation week, you know, God creates and it's good. God creates and it's good. Um, you know, he, he breathes. You know, the spirit, the breath, right? That's the word, right? In um, Hebrew, um, and it's it's good. Um, so seeing that as like creative language. Um, I mean, and actually, I, I think you can't help but go there. This is actually maybe one of the ones I was wondering about here. In verse 11, it's kind of a little bit of a weak translation. It says, you know, preserve my life. Um, for your name's sake, preserve my life there in verse 11. But I don't know if the meaning like preserve my life is actually attested for this verb. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty weird, actually, in some ways. I even have this in Hebrew. But, I mean, it, it, it seems like to me, like it kind of means actually just make me live or, you know, what would I think in a lot of other places you'd naturally read it as bring me back to life. So, I mean, if it's, if it's a uh, real like creative language, you know, I, I think it's this, uh, it's a, it's a prayer that says like, God, I need you to act. Cause I, I can't. And I wonder, you know, uh, you know, can we, kind of keep talking about the, the, the di- dynamic between him and his son? To what extent, you know, does David feel like he just can't bring himself right like raise a sword against his own son, and it's just like, God, I can't, I can't do this. I am too weak to oppose my own son, even if he is you know, like going to be a terrible king and going to do terrible things to Israel. I can't do it. God, I, I need you to take care of this.
1: And in, in some ways, I wonder, and of course I can't justify this at all, but even in David's time in this psalm in verse 10, it's not only creative language, but it's rejective language. Yeah. Of course, the level, level ground is what Isaiah prophesies for. You know, the hills will be made low and the valleys right. will be made high. Level ground is that redemption of of
0: creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. I mean, I mean, all I mean, all the redemptive language in the Old Testament is recreation language, right? It's always going back to that. Um, I mean, even the stuff with crossing the Jordan River. Or crossing the Red Sea, it's it's going back to creation where God's, you know, doing something with the, the chaotic, watery darkness, right? I mean, so you, you see that again and again. Um, and, and so with that final line then, you know, um, because it is interesting how it is this confident just kind of, it's not even a, like a, an imperative, it's just you will, right? You will cut off my enemies. You will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. I am your servant so he, he gets back to that and the redemption the redemptive language is uh yeah I think it's rooted in the creation idea because you made me your servant right and that's what Israel prays right you you have made me your servant you're the one who took took us out of Egypt right and so that's that's why ultimately we believe it's going to happen because you've done it
1: that's, that's the bookend to verse one is God's righteousness that gives us the confidence to say you will cut off my enemies you will destroy.
0: In their soul. I, I, that's that's right, and, and I think that's um, ultimately then why you even get the this idea that really I mean works well for Easter too. I mean you mentioned that this is used in Lent, right? Just that idea of you know uh, our Lord Jesus, you know, goes around the gospel, he, you know, again and again. You know, he, he has these sayings about the Son of Man, right, and uh, all the different things that that God has um, ordained for the Son of Man, and he has this confidence, right, this faith that. You know, God is the one who's in control of all this. And yeah, and you see this faithful son, right? And also, in, in some ways, a faithful father um, to us, right? Who sacrifices himself. So, uh, a, lo- a lot of awesome intersections there. And yeah, certainly as fathers, a lot to chew on. Thank you so yeah. much, brother. And uh, thanks. Yes. Yeah. Always a pleasure having you on. Looking forward to another conversation real soon everybody, Pastor Kevin Parviz, Congregation of Shalom, St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, I took a look at 143, also a little bit back at 142 again, too. Okay, we're getting back into Second Samuel now. Uh, the prophet Nathan has some things to say to his son, David. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace.
1: By Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission, in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting my Strong Word.